Let's have a sincere conversation about events across the nation and topics for our own morality. Let's openly discuss in an environment of trust where perception is reality. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. It is David, your host, and today joining me is Julie Meyer. Hi, Julie. Hi, David. Hi, everyone. Julie is the woman who is much too pretty to be married to Clint Meyer, everyone's favorite Viking co-host <laughs> of the Perception is Reality podcast. Uh, but more than that, uh, Julie is also the owner of Healing Hands Therapeutic Massage in Bolivar, New York. If you're down there, go see her, get a massage, be healed. If you're not down there and you need one, take a trip. It'll be tranquil <laughs> and worth the while. Am I right, Julie? Oh, absolutely. And you'd never regret going to Bolivar. <laughs> Why would anybody regret that? I mean, you'll be down there. They can get a massage. They can relax. That's right. That's all you need. There should be no regrets. Never. So today, Julie, we're going to pick up on part of the conversation that Clint and I were talking about during the initial launch podcast. Uh, about the concept of perception is reality. And Clint mentioned uh, when he was uh, telling everybody how awesome you are, that when you two are having a discussion, that at one point during your relationship, which will hopefully you'll allow us to get into, get the mm -hmm. microscope out, uh, you mentioned to him that something to the effect of perception is reality and his perception of the situation at hand wasn't actually the reality of the situation at hand. Um, right. Do you remember that epiphany? Well, I, I'm not sure when I started using that specific phrase, but um, yeah, I, I mean, he, we couldn't be more opposite human beings. And so the first probably half of our marriage, there was always that struggle of having very different outlooks on a situation and the butting heads and and I I can't remember if I got that out of a book or a movie or what it was but it resonated with me this that phrase because it was the best way for me to try to kind of relate to him what I was thinking you know like I, wanting him to see things through my eyes instead of always kind of wanting me to bend to him and it just made sense perception is reality we all come from different walks of life and different backgrounds. And I mean, even just being different genders, man and woman, we look at things very differently. So um, I know with him, he had um, been really interested in the Myers-Briggs personality tests. And that certainly was a big stepping stone for us once he kind of found out what my personality was and kind of dove in to understand me better. Oh, that was a big turning point in our, our relationship for sure. Um, but the whole perception is reality thing is something I use not only with him, but even with my kids to try to help them think a little more outside of the box when it comes to relating with other people and trying to understand people's motivations. 
Oh, I like it. And, and I can see how that would help. So if I may segue for just a moment, can I take yeah. a wild stab and just say sure. INFJ? IS, actually. ISFJ is me. Yep. ISFJ. Well, I'm yeah. sorry. My mojo is. Uh... <laughs> That's pretty close, though. I'm impressed that you <laughs> even got that close. But. Oh, I, I'm a. Uh huge uh personality test geek i study them oh i am um, i love them and i used to I, I didn't, teach them but i love them now because it has it helped us quite a bit and it helped us relating with our own kids as well so oh absolutely i um was heavy into myers-briggs and then i switched over to disc uh, mm -hmm. and i find that uh disc is easier for, for people to relate to so maybe that's a conversation for a different day but yes so um I just want to take a note here what my guess was when I write about it. Um, you were pretty close. Clint is yeah. ENTP, so we literally are opposites in every aspect. Yeah, Clint is textbook ENTP. Oh, yeah. ENTP. He's very proud of that fact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Clint is. Um, the rarest personality. <laughs> He's shaking his head right now. So. Well, which is, which is funny. I identify, which is probably why... Um, identify with Clint a little bit because he'll enjoy knowing that uh, I'm an INTP. Okay, yep, yep. He works with a lot of INTPs. It's kind of the classic engineer type personality. So he gets along well with INTPs for sure. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely. And then the, yeah, I'll have to, now that I know that, I'll have to uh, have Clint do a disc. Um, oh yeah. He might know about it. I haven't heard of that one, but he um, he's very big into all that stuff. He he likes to understand people, which yep. is good for me because, you know, being an ISFJ, I I think that it's one of the more common personality types. But that doesn't mean mean that you're easy to figure out. It you know I'm still a complicated woman, and so. It's kind of what's kept him interested all these years, I think. <laughs> he tends to bounce around hobbies, but I apparently it stuck with us, so <laughs> well, I have to keep it interesting with him. I like to tell people um, uh, when I'm coaching people or or, or I have a new mentor or something like that, I always tell them that if you're in a managerial role or if you're a parent or you're just a human being, that you need to remember we're all dealing with people. Yeah. Yep. Um, and people, people are individuals. You can lump them together and several different classifications. Like we can lump people together by country. We can lump them by, together by gender. We can lump them together by nationality or ethnicity. Mm. But they're still all people. Just because right. they're lumped together in a category doesn't mean everything's the same. Um, oh, absolutely. Part of, right, part of what we're talking about. Perception is reality. Um, right. So that's interesting. I'm glad that that helped you guys. Have you guys ever looked into the book, The Five Love Languages? Yes. Actually, I was going to mention that. That that was another breakthrough kind of aha moment for us was going through that book. And because I think the whole premise of that book is that everybody shows love differently, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you have a tendency to show love the way you want to receive love, but that might not resonate with the person that you're trying to um, show your love too. And that was certainly the case for him and I. 
And so going through the love languages thing was um, pretty eye-opening as well, helping to understand what he needed from my relationship and vice versa. Um, he, he's a, he likes words, you know, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, he likes to talk and he likes words and so words of affirmation is certainly one of his love languages, but that is one of the least on mine. Like, I don't need to hear the things that he says. I don't need to hear that I'm attractive or pretty or all those things. For me, it was more, um, acts of service or what, whatnot. So he was always very gushy, which was very sweet and kind, but to me, it was falling on deaf ears. It didn't do much for me. So he kind of felt like I wasn't um, receiving that from him. And I would be complaining about him not cleaning up his dishes, but here he's gushing over me. And, you know, he. so once we went through that book, it was like this aha moment of, oh, okay. I, I see now he was trying to show me love all that time. It might not have been the love I needed, but it also was an aha moment for him that he doesn't need to use those words. He needs to figure out what I needed. Well, just so the listeners at home know, it it is evening time and Clint is utilizing that knowledge by making you dinner, but I don't think it would hurt if he, you know, told you how awesome you were while he was making your dinner. (laughs) I mean, sure. That never hurts. I mean, that never hurts. It's (laughs) like icing on the cake, right? Right. And I learned that I needed to do that for him more. You know, I, I would make him his meals and I did the housework. I was a stay at home mom for um, 18 years, 19 years. So I was always doing things, which to me was enough, but didn't, I'm not a wordy person. I don't, you know, I tend to be a fairly quiet individual. So I wasn't giving him the praise that he needed and letting him know how much I appreciate him. And so I think trying to understand your partner is like 90% of what marriage is about. And we're always evolving and changing as, as people. So that never just goes away, you know? Exactly. And again, like you, you just said it, the the perception is I'm doing all of these great things for you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I do these things all the time and it, from you, the, the least he could do is like, well, you know, pick up your dishes. Right. Right. I mean, you're in the sink, man. Right. Yeah. But meanwhile, he's, you know, there in the kitchen and he's probably like, damn baby, you look good tonight. And you're like, <laughs> just put your dishes in the dishwasher right. and it, but it's okay. a perception thing. And you know, he's showing you the effect. Yeah. It's a, Absolutely. he's showing you the affection that, that he thinks and, it's, yeah. it's definitely interesting how these things come to come to fruition because it's that cartoon I talked about with Clint. Like if we're staying on opposite sides of a number, mm-hmm. he sees a six and I see a nine. Yep. I love that. Actually. I, I really liked that way of, kind of looking at it. Thank you. It, it's, it, I can't take credit for it. I don't know who the um, <laughs> artist is who drew that. If you're out there and you ever listen let me know, message me. I will totally start giving you credit for that. Um, but it's not that difficult to walk around to the other side of the number and say, oh, well, right. do you know, it, it is a six. I get it. In fact, I think it's crucial in a marriage, especially a marriage and with any relationship that is um, long-term, your relationship with your children, your parents and whatnot, I think it's crucial to kind of walk to the other side and take a second. That's how 
you foster those crucial relationships in life. I completely agree. Um, I definitely feel that it's important. And if it's, you're not willing to do that, then why be in that relationship at all? I mean, there's, there's multiple relationships that, that we have, right? There's, yeah. there's this relationship we're talking about a marital or a life partner type relationship where you're committed for, from now until forever. Mm. And then you've got work relationships of varying degrees. Like you have a different relationship with your boss than you might with your peers. Oh, absolutely. But in any one of those situations, I think we, and, and then you mentioned with your kids, I don't want to gloss over kids. Kids are a huge part of a relationship. I mean, oh, man, yeah. you know, we're not here to be their friends, but we don't have to demean them or make them feel bad or try not to understand when they're coming with to you with their earth shattering problem um, that because we're at a certain age now, their problem isn't necessarily earth shattering, but it's nice to walk around and see it from their eyes and help them through that issue. Right. So if you're going to be in a relationship, you may as well make it worthwhile. And I feel that we've reached a point with people being online all the time and things being in text or I am, uh, you know, those kind of communications, you can't really hear tone of voice. You can't really hear the, the intonations that make the difference. Right. And you can't really hear the pause. Like it's hard to write a paragraph in a text and right. put in a pause that's like four spaces. That's like, okay, I'm thinking about this or, you know, it's hard. Or you just start spamming text because you have multiple thoughts. And then you're, the other person's like, well, what is this person trying to say to me? Oh, absolutely. It's, you can't understand intentions through words you know, the written word, it's, it's hard to, to get that. Everybody needs a narrator. <laughs> they, they do. And, and I've often run into this issue. Well, not anymore. Well, not as much as I used to, because I'm incredibly dry and sarcastic. It's just, mm -hmm. just how I am. And that doesn't translate at <laughs> all in text. No. <laughs> so what, what I would like desperately for somebody to invent is a specific font called sarcasm font. Yes. Like just, I would appreciate that for sure. Let's, can it be in italics? Can we just, can we have, you know, listen, iOS or Android developers out there, if you're listening, give us an option to change the text when we're trying to <laughs> have different emotions. Like let us do a bold or let us do an italics to intonate what we're trying to say. Absolutely. I've been married to Clint for 20, oh, 21, 22 years. I don't remember now. It's terrible, but I should know. But, and I still, even when he's talking to me, sometimes I still don't know if he's being sarcastic <laughs> because he, it's just part of his language anymore. So when he's texting, it's even worse. You know, even if, if I'm struggling face to face to understand if he's being sarcastic, I certainly am not going to catch that in text and, so we've gotten to the point where if we're in an argument and it starts to turn into a texting argument, forget about it. Let's like, it's not going anywhere. We need to just stop and pick up when we see each other's faces. Time out and go, <laughs> go to your respective corners and then just yes. take a breather and then come back and, Absolutely. and do that. So one, one person that, that um, I was talking to was having, um, 
an argument with his his fiance and it happened to be late at night and she wanted to keep talking about it but his level of he was out of energy he couldn't handle the conversation anymore and he didn't want to he did and i respect him for this he didn't want the conversation to turn into an argument that was escalated in tone of voice you know i'm not saying like there was going to be any physical escalation but you know when you, you get into no. an argument sometimes the, the voices rise it just yep. it's natural so mm -hmm. i respect him for saying he's like look i i just i need to sleep on this and she was devastated she thought he was shutting down yeah and i find those kind of things interesting because i think also people have energy levels his energy was completely depleted he could not have this conversation more he needed a breather but she wasn't done and all right. he wanted to do was internalize and think about what he wanted to say back so he didn't make things worse but by his not replying she took that as him shutting down when he was really just like i need to gather my thoughts i don't want to you know i don't want to fight with you i want to because i love you i want to make things better so i i wonder if, if um I wonder if I, when I see him next, I'll have to see if he, uh, go, I want him to read the love languages or maybe I'll disc. Oh, absolutely. And I, I have to say that that's a struggle that Clint and I have too. And that it all still goes back to, you can still take that back to perception is reality because Clint's personality is such that he can't sleep unless it's been settled. It, it will stress him out and keep him awake. But I am the type that, as I get more tired, I get more irrational. I get more, uh, I might say things that I'm gonna regret that I don't even really feel, but I'm just angry and tired and want it to go away, you know? So that's another area where a couple has to kind of figure out maybe when they're level-headed, what's best in those situations. Um, we've gotten to a point where we can stop the argument and say listen it's late i'm really tired this is going nowhere can we just try to go to sleep i love you you love me let's go to sleep and let's pick this up tomorrow when we're both rested and you know if he's if it's not something that's really nagging at him he's able to do that as long as we're kind of keeping it at that level tone but i also know that i don't want him to be stressing and up. So I'll suffer through if I have to, to kind of find that meeting ground. But I totally get that. I, I do think that that's something that all couples should kind of figure out before that situation arises. Like, are you the type of person that can still sleep if you're angry at somebody? Or are you the type of person that is going to haunt you and keep you awake all night? Because you have to respect that person. I mean, if he's going to have to work the next day, he's going to have to get up in the morning. I, I don't want him to have this carried on through his entire day the next day and waste more time and energy and, you know, brain power stressing about it. So I totally that's, get that. <laughs> that's actually very nice of you. And that's, that's the same kind of loving sentiment that I got from from this gentleman I was talking to is that it was really done out of a place of love. And right. how would you, what would your, I guess I really probably need to ask Clint this next time, but what would you gave good advice just now about how to have that conversation when to have, have it early. Yeah. Um, 
before it gets out of hand. Yeah. Absolutely. So you can both sleep and come to a resolution when the time is right and you're both more level-headed. How, what would your, I don't know if it's a recommendation or advice or struggling with the word, what would your thoughts be to all of the other clients out there that might be listening that are people that won't be able to sleep through the night when somebody like you who needs to gather, like energies spent, need to recognizes, has the emotional intelligence to recognize that you're running out of that energy to have that conversation. Right. How, what would you say to all of those clients out there in the world? Like when you're approaching that level, you know, not to take offense to it, like what does that mean to you? Because maybe they don't understand what that means to you and why you're saying, you know, I need to take a breather. Right. I can tell you what's worked for me. Um, you know, I, obviously personality plays a huge factor in that, but I, with Clint knowing his love languages and knowing his personality type and that comes with experience and, and, and putting in the time and the effort to kind of get to know your partner. But knowing him, I know that if I come to him and use my words and in a calm way and I say, I love you and, you know, am very genuine in talking to him and rational, then he's usually pretty perceptive of that. So my advice would definitely be to not say it in anger. Don't be like, I don't want to, you know, do this right now. This is, and that's immediately going to escalate the situation. But if you can take a breath and tell your partner who wants to finish this fight, I love you. I'm going to love you tomorrow even more than I love you today, but I really need a night to sleep because I'm afraid of what, where this is going to go. You know, whatever their love language is, Clint's is obviously words, words of affirmation, one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so for him being able to express in words that this fight is not going to be a make or break tonight, let's, you know, I love you. I'm going to love you the same tomorrow this is not going to destroy us if we go both go to sleep right now. And he, because he's a rational human being, he can hear that and, and be okay with it. Um, if that person's love language is acts of service, maybe ask them for a break, go get them their favorite drink, you know, bring it back up, tell them, listen, I love you. We need to take a break here and, and talk about this tomorrow or make a lunch date for the next day or, whatever you need to do that will resonate with that person. Those are the moments where you need to do them Um, because that's going to kind of tap into that uh, love language area, the bucket, the love bucket or whatever it was that they used to, I can't remember. It's been so long, but you know, your buckets gets full if, Mm -hmm. if your partner is feeding you the love that you need to be fed. So finding their love language, and using that even in an argument to try to help them understand what you need right now. And I think that that will resonate better with that person if it's on a level that they understand. So you might have to do something that might be something you normally wouldn't do. Uh, for me, we, we would be using words. For somebody else, it might be, you know, setting aside time the next day for a lunch date or for a dinner date or whatever to give 
time to that person and yep. help figure it out. That would work for me because mine's quality time. So right. Uh, so if would... your lovely wife had said to you, let's go for a nice lunch tomorrow or I'll make a picnic or I'll bring you lunch or whatever. And let's take a nice long lunch and figure this out. Maybe that would be enough for you to be able to go to sleep and let it go for just that little bit. If, if she was the type of person that needed that time. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I, I, we're, we're very odd in that we both have the same love languages and the same personality types. Oh, that's very lucky. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty yeah. rare, I think. It um, is. And that's, it's good. That's a good thing. So how, if I may, I would like you to maybe, because you definitely have done some research and it's, it's paid dividends. You have a great successful marriage, you've got two great kids who are going to do great things. I um, so. When, how do you, what would your advice be to somebody to recognize when they're maybe reaching that point? where it's time to take a break because I think maybe when you're in it, you don't necessarily see that you're about to cross a line um, right. and escalate a situation that doesn't necessarily need to be escalated uh, because I mean, we're really talking about the pre precursor event here or the, the event that triggers the, okay, perception is reality conversation. Right. Um, like you definitely, you, are, you recognize it. How would you help somebody else recognize that in themselves? Say, look, when you hit this point, it might be time to put the brakes on or just pause before you say that next thing. That's a tough one. I, you know, we have a, a very healthy marriage, but it's, it's a, always work. And I always tell people that, you know, what people see out in public is very different than what you see behind closed doors. And that is the case for most people. But I would say that the biggest advice I would give to people when they get into um, a discussion that might turn into something a little more intense is, and you should always, always talk about these things when you're both level-headed and calm. Like whoever's listening to this, this should be a conversation you have with your partner before you have an argument. Like what uh, sets them off? What do they hate about an argument that you might have? I know Clint's triggers and he knows mine and that's taken 20 years to develop and to figure out. But I think if you can talk candidly to somebody with the expectation that they want what's best for me and I want what's best for them and kind of figure out the triggers before you get into that moment, then you can avoid the triggers when you're in that moment. And even if you just can't stand the person when you're talking to them, and let's be honest, we've all had those moments where you're fighting and you're just kind of want to, you know, leave the room and not see that person for a very long time. But you have to remember that your pit, your 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 past and your future is all intertwined with that person so the words that you say you can never take them back and using those triggers against that person is might feel good in that second 
because you maybe you want them to kind of feel that pain or whatever, but it, in the long run, you'll never be able to take that back. And that's something that will come up over and over again in the future if you're not careful. So my advice is always to figure out your partner before you get into those situations. And if you're in a new relationship, that's much harder because you don't have the the history in the past to kind of feed from. But once you're in a committed relationship with somebody, half the fun is just trying to figure all that out. How do they mm -hmm. fight? How do they argue? How do they make up? How do they, you know, love? That's all a part of it. And it's just as important to know how that person fights as it is to know how they love because that's going to avoid future explosions if you can kind of see those triggers beforehand and be able to avoid uh, pushing the buttons that so often send us into the next level. I, I agree with you. I think people don't understand or they take for granted that relationships are work. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the shiny exterior you see when people are out uh, at a restaurant spoon feeding each other dessert. That right. took a long, it's, it took a long road to get there. And it's, that doesn't mean that, you know, I, I know you guys, I've known you for a while and I, it doesn't mean that your relationship is tumultuous. You guys have an awesome relationship, but you also have a very mature relationship. Right. I think people don't understand that's possible. And it really is. If you're willing to sit down with your partner and have these level of discussions Absolutely. And I think the key phrase that you said is, um, earlier is that you have to want to have these discussions. And if you don't want to have this level of discussion, why are you in that relationship in the first place? Right. And waiting till you're in a heightened state of, you know, anger and stuff is never a good time to try to figure out your partner. That's just the worst time to do it. And this, and this can go with kids as well. I mean, this is any relationship, even a relationship with your parents, you know, trying to understand what their triggers are and what to avoid is huge. You don't want to be pushing buttons with your own children and you have to kind of understand how they love and want to be loved as well. Oh, and if you can absolutely. get to that point, then it's, it becomes easier. Marriage is always going to be hard, but if you can take the time to truly understand your partner and what they need, then the rest of it tends to be just a little bit easier. At least it has been in our case. And it's, it's paid off. You guys have been together forever. And yeah. just so everybody knows what that really means, um, you've already said how long you've been together, but let people remind people, because I think Clint mentioned it, but remind them at what age you started this relationship. Oh, gosh. So we started dating. I was 17. He was 16. And um, at 19, I um, discovered I was pregnant and we got married. He was 18. So 18 and 19, we got married and we've been together since. Um, but yeah, 16 and 17, we started dating. So it was several decades. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. We don't need to say, you know, <laughs> if anybody at home wants to do the math, they can listen and rewind and do the math, but I won't do it. Right. <laughs> but um, I mean, I'm not, a, I, I'm at, I, but I tell guys, everybody that I'm, I'm 41 years old and I kind of skipped the twenties where you're, 
sowing your wild oats and doing all that crazy stuff. We grew up together. So Mm -hmm. we were very dedicated um, to each other, maybe not for the complete right reasons in the beginning. Um, We both grew up in a very religious homes and divorce just was never an option. So we faced our, our trials and our issues and divorce just never seemed like an option to us. And I'm glad now when I look back that, that we had that foundation. Um, you know, we have since maybe not been quite as active in the church and things like that. Certainly nowhere near where we were. But I think that having that foundation of marriage is forever helped a lot. Um, but at the same time, because we were kids, I think that we were naive in the fact that we thought just because we got married that our our marriage was going to be bulletproof in a sense. And that's just not the case. I think you have to always be working and always be learning about your partner because like I said before, we you evolve and change, especially when you start out that young. I mean, we grew up and even as adults we've changed. I'm not the same person I was five years ago. So you have to be willing to grow with your partner and continue to learn who they are. Uh, I agree. And that's a fun road if you're willing to put in the work. It is. We talk about that too. I mean, there's something to be said about um, the history, you know, growing old with one person is amazing and we may not have, the experiences that some others have, but we have this amazing history of having grown up together and raised children together. And, you know, some marriages don't work and I get that. And then, and it's unfortunate. And for those people that might be the best um, path for them is to kind of move on and find somebody else. But I think for those of us that are able to kind of get through it, it's so, uh, gratifying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I agree. And um, I watch uh, Steve Harvey. I think that he's hilariously funny. And um, he, I think he gives good advice on his talk show. Uh, people mm-hmm. listening can judge me however they want for that. But <laughs> one of the things that he said the other day, there was a, a my one of my favorite se- segments is Ask Steve. And I don't know if you've watched or not. No, I have not. But uh, if you just Google Ask Steve, uh, Steve Harvey, um, or I think it's Steve Harvey TV or something like that, uh, you'll be able to see him. And he answers the questions in a funny way, but informative way. And one of the things, one of the, I forget the lady's actual question, but it was, oh, she was afraid to tell people that she was divorced. She was embarrassed by it. And he was like, why are you embarrassed by this? And I I think he had a good answer and I'm not going to do it justice, but his answer was, it's okay to make a mistake. He's like, if you're looking at me, Steve Harvey, he's like, I'm on my third marriage and I finally got it right. He's like, what makes it so wrong to make a mistake? Right. He's like, it's okay. And so I understand what you're saying. And I'm only going down that road for anybody who is divorced or has had a broken relationship. And we will, you know, I've not been divorced. Um, I've actually been married twice to the same woman because we like to renew our vows because we're that dorky. But, uh, I keep asking for a third and she's like, you're an idiot, but it's awesome. I'll wear her down. Um, That's right. (laughs) (laughs) But I agree with Steve. It's okay to 
if your relationship didn't work out, it just, it, it, it just didn't work out. Accept that right. yep. and move on. So that's. Clint says a lot that we are very fortunate, he and I, that because we didn't really know who we were going to become. I mean, who knows at, you know, 18 and 19, who you're going to become. So I, I know a lot of people that married at an early age like that and it didn't work out. And that makes sense because at that young of an age, you just don't know the person that you're going to be. And if your paths diverge and go in different ways, then there's not really a whole lot you can do to, to help that. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, there is some luck there that he and I, you know, there was a lot of work as well, but there was also some luck there that we had the same vision for our future and the same kind of dreams for where we wanted our family to be. And even though we are polar opposites, um, that doesn't mean that we didn't have the same um, kind of ideas and dreams and hopes for our family. And so we were very fortunate in that sense. But I, we are not the norm, I don't think, with having been married that young and under those circumstances. Um, I, I can't say that you're the norm or not, but I can say that my sister, Julie, um, maybe it's a name thing, um, same thing. <laughs> and her and my brother-in-law, Kevin, have been married um, forever. Yeah. And, you know, Kevin's, Kevin's my brother. I, I, he's been in my life since I think I was like 10. Yeah. I mean, wow. Kevin's not my brother-in-law. He's definitely my brother. Um, yeah. And you know, my nephew Ryan, I was 12 when he was born. Um, so yeah. I think, and, and I've seen Julie and Kevin um, go through ups and downs like normal people because normal people have ups and downs. And I oh, absolutely. think that's what I was trying to get at earlier. And I, I didn't uh, finish that thought or say it properly was that in perception is reality. You said it, I think when what you get, what you show outside, isn't necessarily what you see inside. And um, that relationship, their relationship takes work. My relationship with Sherry, even though I've already got her to marry me twice, takes work. <laughs> These things. Maybe a third time work. if you're lucky. I, I'm working on it. Um, Come on, Sherry. See. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but uh, that's what I think people need to understand is these things work. But more importantly is like the six of us in our respective relationships are willing to work at it. Yeah. Yep. So the perception might be everything's perfect. Um, it's not perfect, but it's a lot of fun. I can, I'm guessing that after all of these years, Clint still can make you laugh. Oh my God. Yes. Like nobody else, honestly. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, I always tell people that Clint is, it's like being married to a different person. A lot of times, <laughs> you know, he's, he's just the type of guy that is, uh, keeps things interesting. It's never a dull moment. I mean, we've lived in Japan. We've moved all over the country. We've, we've experienced things that, a lot of people have never had the opportunity to experience because he's an out of the box thinker. He's pulled me out of my box, which I was very comfortable being in <laughs> and has given me an opportunity to see the world and, and see people's different perspectives on life that I may not have done 
on my own because I, being an ISFJ especially, you tend to kind of live your life with a strict code of rules and people should live within those rules. And so him being the rule breaker made me have to kind of get out of that mindset and be okay with it. And in doing that, I was able to understand um, people that I may not have taken the opportunity to understand. And I'm very grateful for that. It's that's never good. a moment with him. That's for sure. That's, that's great. Yeah. Uh, what, well, what, so let me ask you this. How else has this concept to you when you realized perception is reality? Like how has that helped you in any other ways besides your relationship? Oh, so many ways. I think that um, people that tend to be a little more close-minded, which, you know, I, I hate to stereotype um, my personality type, but ISFJs can tend to be a little bit more close-minded. I think that if you can look at life and people um, with this perception as reality mentality, it forces you to open your mind and it's helped with relationships, even with uh, my parents, with um, people that I've had to uh, communicate with that might not be my favorite to communicate with, mm -hmm. because I think everybody has a, comes from a different walk of life and a different uh, socioeconomic standing, a different um, you know background, race, whatever we've all had different experiences in our life that make us who we are. So assuming that another person should be this way, a certain way or think a certain way that might seem normal to you is just not fair because you don't know what that person's been through. So being able to kind of take a step back and say, what is this person experience that's making them grumpy <laughs> or making them hard to talk to right now or hard to get along with or, you know, whatever that obstacle is and being able to foster a relationship with that human being, being able to really put yourself in their shoes and see the situation from their perspective is crucial in understanding them and being able to, um, communicate with them. And I was speaking with a friend today, my, my best friend about this, because I think it's easy to be hurt by people's words, unless you can do that. You have to be able to take yourself out of your brain and put yourself in their shoes in order to understand where they're coming from. And when you do that, the, the words that they say don't really carry as much um, meaning. So if somebody says something to me that would immediately make me feel offended, if I can kind of stop and say, why would that person say that? What's happened in their life that's made them feel this way? It, those words no longer carry that, you know, sting that they normally would. So I think that it's a crucial way to communicate with others. I think if everybody kind of took this um, philosophy and used it in all of their interactions with people, whether you are in sales and it's just a customer or whether you're trying to foster a relationship with a parent or a child that might be difficult, being able to kind of really understand their walk of life and what's made them the way that they are will 
help you understand why they say the things that they do. And everybody has a reason. I don't think anybody is, maybe it's just me, but I tend to always think the best in people. I think that there's very few people out there who are just genuinely bad people. I think that there's a reason that they are the way they are. I agree. That's part of the reason that I wanted to do the podcast. It's figure out how people are right. the way they are. Um, I think that's fascinating. I like to try to figure it out. Um, it is. If you can look at it like a puzzle, then like I said, it's it's hard to get hurt by another person's words or actions if you're look you look at it more like a puzzle and trying to dig a little deeper and understand them. I, it just it gives you the power back, I guess, in a way, and that's helped me, especially being an ISFJ and being a little bit sensitive and having anxieties and all that kind of thing. I, I think being able to look at things a little more um, abstractly is pretty key to not being hurt by everything that gets said. <laughs> I agree. That's an interesting approach to take when somebody is saying something. There's a lot to what they're saying. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of innocent comments can be taken out of context uh, and blown up. And I think in today's day and age, that's even more magnified. And there's a lot of misunderstanding. So I think it's crucial to take a, a moment and try to figure out where that person's coming from. Oh, absolutely. And quite frankly, if you don't know or don't understand, I think it's okay to ask them, him or her or whoever is speaking, and have an actual conversation. Um, right. That may solve some misunderstandings. And on the off chance that you interpreted what the other person said as correctly being just not nice, then it's okay to say to that person, I don't agree with that com conversation or piece of thought and I'm out. Right. And explain to them. I think too often we, we get offended and, and then walk away from a conversation without speaking our mind, but it's okay to say, you know, that hurt my feelings. And maybe you don't realize that what you just said was really harsh or what you, you know, I think there are people out, here, out there that don't have that um, innate ability to um, show compassion or to, I mean, I tease all the time that Clint, he's, he doesn't have a filter. So sometimes he will say what's on his mind without thinking about how that might hurt me. And I could tell you so many stories <laughs> about things that he's said or done. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this one. He, he came home um, from work one time. I had been talking the week previous and said, you know, I think I want to start working out and doing some stuff and wanting to get healthy, you know. And he came home, it may have even been like Valentine's Day or something, and he came in so proud of himself and he'd bought me a workout DVD. And he handed it to me and I immediately got offended. Like, what are you trying to tell me, right? You know, you think I need to work out? And if I'd just taken a second instead of, like Julie today would have laughed at that and been like, you know, most wives might not have liked this gift, but thank you, you know. But that Julie was still learning. and. I immediately got offended, but I know now that he had 
was listening to me that previous week and thought, oh, she'll like this. She wants to start something new. Now she'll have it. She doesn't have to go out and do a search for, you know, a great video. And, and he was trying to be kind. And I can look at that now and, and see that for what it is. But I think, you know, you can take that into any situation. It's, if you just take a step back and really look at why they got you that, you know, if uh, your husband gets you a vacuum cleaner for your anniversary, instead of immediately getting angry, you know, you probably said you need a new vacuum cleaner and he doesn't know what to get you. So that's what he got you, you know, take yourself out of the situation a little bit and try to understand why he was motivated to do what he did. It's not because he thinks you're a terrible housekeeper and, you know, wants you to do better. That's not necessarily his motivation in doing it. So. Uh, I, I want to just go on the record saying that I love the vacuum cleaner that Sherry bought for me. <laughs> I am the type. I love those kinds of gifts. I'll, I'm just I, saying. If, um, if it's practical, I'm all over it. So well, he's got free reign to get me whatever he wants that's practical. It can help you with your acts of service. Exactly. So exactly. That, it's, that, that helps. Well, Julie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today and helping uh, People understand that relationships, they are a lot of fun and they're worth it. But to get to the end and the finish line, it takes some work. Um, and you have to talk and you have to understand people's thoughts might be different from yours and not be afraid to go down that road of a, of a difficult conversation of, this is what I heard you say, is that what you meant kind of thing. Oh, and absolutely. To, to know, I think more importantly, is to know when to stop. Yes. We know yep. when to put the brakes on and know when it's going too far that it's becoming unproductive. So thank you so much for all of that. You're and very welcome. It was fun. I, I appreciate you uh, including me in all this fun. And Well, I and couldn't, my have, couldn't have Clinton talk about you and not have you. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm crediting you for this epiphany that has helped us with this podcast and Clint's revelation. I mean, you're, you're, you're getting all the credit here. So I, I well, thank I, you. I, I appreciate it. I, I don't deserve all the credit, but I'll take it. <laughs> all right. Take and run with it. All right. <laughs> thank right. you very much, Julie. You're very welcome. Bye. Bye-bye.